Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Ray Penny with New Jersey School Board Association. This is Conversations on New Jersey Education, a program designed to bring leaders in the educational, of educational issues to you uh, and everyone in the education community. This is part of our series for the reopening of schools, um, and this one is on the handling the safety drills with social distancing protocol, something that uh, I think has come up in a lot of uh, meetings that I've had with board members across the, the state uh, as we are looking to reopen our schools. Uh, if you have a question that you want to pass on to our uh, guest speaker, who I'll introduce in a minute, all you have to do is dial 1-347-989-8904, 1-347-989-8904, and just press number 1, and that will let Robin know, who's monitoring a switchboard, that you have a question. Or we have a chat room feature. If you want to go to the chat room, you can just uh, you have to log in with uh, – blog talk radio but there's no fee for that and you can just type in your question and i'll pass it on uh with me is kevin craig uh with uh porzio compliance services he's the uh, assistant vice president of safety security and investigations uh so welcome kevin how are you very good right thanks for having me today i appreciate it no problem uh okay well before we get started on that topic uh, just tell us a little bit about uh porzio Sure. Um, I'm the Assistant Vice President of Safety Security Investigations for Poisio Compliance Services. Uh, Poisio Compliance Services is a wholly owned subsidiary of the law firm Porzio, Bromberg & Newman. Uh, we're a consulting company that specializes in all matters of physical and informational security. Uh, and we have an emphasis on school safety and security planning. We conduct physical security assessments, emergency planning, uh, school safety, drill planning and reviews, uh, staff training, investigations, and any general uh, security consulting uh, needs that schools may have. Okay, thanks, Kevin. And, um, well, before we start on the differences, uh, my understanding is that the statutes that are still there on the mandating the number of uh, drills that we have and the kind of drills that we have to happen in the school, they're all still there, right? Uh, yeah, the, the, the requirements for school security drills are, are codified by law. Um, so while there's other, some other codes and regulations um, you know, related to COVID that, that have been either temporarily suspended through the public health crisis, um, you know, the, the drill laws are still, uh, still in effect uh, because they're statutory. So all those requirements are still there, but there are ways to navigate through uh, to still meet those compliance um, measures to, to be compliant with those drill laws. And just to give our listeners a view of uh, what that means is, uh, say we open in the first week of September, what are some of the drills that have to occur with during, the, say, the first couple months? So, so the, there's some mandatory drills. So every school district has to do um, a one security drill uh, in every school every month and one fire drill uh, in every school every month. Um, the, most importantly, in the first 15 days of school, um, that security, uh, the security drill will have to be done uh, in the month of September within that first 15 days of school. So there are certain types of drills that are mandatory according to the, the drill laws in New Jersey. Uh, you have to do 
uh, two active shooter drills, two lockdown drills, two bomb threat drills, and two non-fire evacuation drills. Those are the mandatory types, um, and they each have to be done uh, twice each year. So assuming you have a, you know, your 10-month school year, uh, that would make up eight of your mandatory drills. But there's other drills that you can do uh, to, to supplement those uh, during the first couple of months of school that wouldn't require uh, necessarily moving students or getting students involved in, in the drill process. Okay, and I think that's the one a lot of us find. Uh, so what is your recommendation as what can you do to kind of uh, massage this? So some of the other drills that, that are acceptable according, according to the drill law, um, that you can test your emergency notification systems, you can test your communication systems, do things like audibility assessments or tabletop exercise that don't necessarily involve uh, students or moving students around. So um, it would be recommended that during the first couple of months of school uh, to, to enable to accommodate those social distancing requirements that you do, um, you know, select other drills that wouldn't require um, the, you know, the moving, the moving around uh, of students. So testing your communication systems, testing your emergency um, notification systems, uh, notifying your parents, um, things that, that are, are still practicing uh, your emergency preparedness and still exercising your systems uh, that you have in your school, but don't require the movement of students. So you wouldn't be compromising uh, those social distancing requirements. Okay. And uh, just for our listeners, uh, you mentioned a tabletop. What's a tabletop drill? So tabletop exercises are basically uh, running through hypothetical scenarios in a in a in a confined in a in a setting uh, in in a room setting. Um, that's why it's you know basically referred to as a tabletop. You get a group of school administrators or security uh, staff members uh, around a table, run through a hypothetical scenario, and how you would you know how the school would respond to that. So you're actually kind of walking through a, a, a hypothetical scenario without actually doing uh, doing the job. So you're throwing out ideas on how you would uh, how you would navigate through a, a particular crisis. Uh, or a particular incident, what resources you would have avail- available to identify you know, what things you, you're, you're prepared for and where you might have some opportunities for, for improvement. And you can do that for any type of scenario. You can do it for an active shooter scenario. You can do it for a bomb threat. Um, you can do it for you know, any, any, any type of crisis. You can run a hypothetical scenario and do a small-scale tabletop exercise uh, just to really you know, run through your, uh, your emergency preparedness procedures uh, to, to identify you know, challenges and, and opportunities for improvement. Now, one of the things when you do um, um, your drills, you're, you're kind of supposed to be a little consistent in uh, covering a lot of the things. How do you um, – remain consistent in doing all this when you probably have schedules that are I'm seeing anyway, I'm not sure about your clients, but A, B schedules where it's not the same kids in every day or maybe not even the same staff. So how do you keep your consistency? So it's important to maintain uh, the, the same the same emergency protocols that you had in place prior to, to the COVID pandemic uh, should still remain in place. We don't want to be adjusting our our, our procedures to accommodate for for a pandemic uh, if if we don't have to, because we want to stay true to what our emergency responses um, are like. So, for example, in in a lockdown scenario, um, typically what that would look like in a New Jersey school is, you know, you'd shut off the light, teachers would shut off the lights and and lock the doors and pull the shades, and then students would move into into deep corners of the classroom uh, to get out of of the way of visibility from from the windows and and avoid, uh, you know, avoid detection. Obviously, with social distancing, we don't want to be uh, pushing all students into into corners where we wouldn't be able to socially distance. But the, if if that's the best practice protocol, 
We don't want to change that to accommodate for social distancing, only to have to revert back to our original procedures afterwards. So we want to stay true to those, um, to those uh, you know, emergency protocols to make sure that we're, we're being as effective as possible in maintaining the integrity of our drills and our emergency responses. So ways to get around that are to, you know, just not, we can have teachers walk through uh, the scenarios and direct students of what they would do while the students remain seated in their desk. If we do get back to the point where uh, we want to do lockdown drills uh, or have to do lockdown drills to meet those minimum standards, we can have teachers just, you know, approach it as kind of a lesson plan uh, type of drill uh, where they may go ahead and lock the doors and, and pull the shades and turn off the lights, but the, the students don't necessarily have to move at that moment. Um, uh, you know, we, we can just do it in a way that it's taught and it's trained uh, so they're, they're getting the point of what, they're, what the expectations are during the drills uh, without actually physically having to get up and get in those corners and, uh, and compromise that social distancing. As far as the, the different types of schedules, um, every student doesn't have to participate in every drill. So if your school is on an A and B schedule, um, the best way to make sure that uh, all students are exposed to drills to some degree are to make sure you're planning your, your drill schedule so that each cohort um, get, has the opportunity to participate in whatever types of drill you're doing. So if you do, if you do a drill during, uh, in the month of September that only involves the, the A cohort, uh, then you want to make sure that in, in October um, your drill is scheduled so it, it, it encompasses the, the time where cohort B uh, will be in the building so they get the benefit of the drills as well. But each, each cohort does not have to participate uh, in every drill every month as long as we have these split schedules um, going on. You'll still be compliant with the drill laws. And should you uh, announce your drills in advance? I know in some practice they want to make sure that you do your drills and no one knows about it just to see how effective they are. So, but at least for the first couple of months, should, should that be something that they should consider? Yeah, so, so announcing or, or not announcing drills varies from district to district. Some, some districts announce their drills um, all the time, and, and some prefer uh, to do unannounced drills so they get a, kind of a genuine, uh, a genuine response w with some, you know, some level of urgency uh, to their drills. But there's certainly nothing wrong with it, particularly um, during this time where uh, you're going to be having to, to uh, amend your drill schedule to some degree and maybe do something, something a little bit out of the ordinary. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with announcing your drills, letting your, your staff members uh, and your students know that on a, cert on a certain day we're going to be conducting this drill, and this is how we're going to do it. So you certainly have that option of announcing drills uh, to, to make them more uh, able to accommodate the, the changes in how the drill procedures are implemented. All right, and um, I guess it, it's still important to do these drills, and maybe even more important because uh, from what I'm seeing, the, the schools might be set up differently. So a teacher may have had knew the routine for the last three or four years, but they might be in a different room with a different or a different setup with plexiglass and other things. So uh, it's still important to conduct these drills. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, the, the, the issues that we've had, the security concerns that we've had in schools um, for decades haven't gone away uh, since, the, since COVID-19. Those threats and, 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 uh, and vulnerabilities still exist. So we have to, we have to find that balance um, between safety and security uh, that we've traditionally upheld in schools and, you know, being able to, to effectively mitigate and prevent uh, the spread of disease. So it is important that we still continue to maintain the, the integrity of our safety and security strategies, and that includes uh, practicing our emergency responses through drills. And 
like everything in education, probably everything in a lot of our society, a lot of the social distancing protocols are kind of uh, flying in the face of what we thought were good practices educationally, uh, socially, uh, and probably in business practice where we foster collaboration. But is is that same thing true where they're in um, uh, school security where some of the things that we took for granted as best practices are a little bit more difficult now because we just don't have uh, we, we can't congregate the kids in one corner, say, like in the shelter in place. Yeah, so so there's a lot of the a lot of the the uh, infectious disease mitigation measures that are being put in place, um, really are contrary to good uh, sound uh, school safety and security best practices. Things like using multiple entrances. Um, it's you know for for years now we've been we've been encouraging schools to limit the number of entrances so we can uh, effectively manage the, you know access control uh, and and keep you know keep those those minimal entrances supervised so we know who's coming and going and we can identify potential threats and vulnerabilities as they come in um, with with COVID um, you know many schools you know to accommodate social distancing are using multiple entrances again um, so it's important that. Uh, we, we maintain the integrity of those entrances. So if you're going to use multiple entrances to accommodate social distancing, um, those entrances have to be supervised and monitored constantly by, you know, by staff members. And those staff members should have communication with, with other people in the school, in the main office, um, so that way if they do have an issue, if there is some, some security issue uh, that could potentially uh, impact the school at any one of those open entrances, uh, they can quickly communicate uh, to others in the school uh, that, that a response uh, is indicated. Things like s students and staff members wearing masks is another another issue. Um, you know, typically things like things like any kind of face covering um, would be you know would be prohibited in school um, according to a dress code because we need to identify who's in our school buildings. Um, so, so being able to readily identify staff members uh, and students is is going to be challenging. So, um, you know, in mo in most cases, uh, you know at least staff members are required to wear visible identification badges uh, so so that way they can be readily identified whether it's on a lanyard or somehow on their clothing they can be readily identified as a staff member um, students however you know there's not a lot of schools that that have that practice in place but that may be something that schools want to consider um, because how else will we be able to identify that the uh, without facial recognition um, because of the mask issue how are we going to really know that all of all of the the students that are entering our building actually belong there and are coming there in there for a nefarious purpose so um, having students wear wear identification badges or some other type of identifying um, you know way to identify them is is something certainly to to consider to mitigate um, that potential vulnerability of everybody having their faces covered um, things as simple as air circulation some of the recommendations are to open windows and doors uh, to encourage air circulation and fresh air from outside um, the one thing that I think is is from a safety and security perspective is a non-negotiable is you know not propping doors um, not propping you know all of the exterior doors in the building unless they're supervised by a staff member uh, should be locked at all times, and I think that's that's one strategy that um, we need to really we need to really focus on is we can't just prop open doors for air circulation because if we do uh, and those doors aren't supervised, we're really allowing unfettered access to our school building. So um, just s simple things like just maintaining the integrity of our of our security strategies uh, while still uh, doing the best we can to accommodate social distancing and and you know prevent you know the spread of infection I think is is important to really be true to our our safety and security strategies I hadn't even thought about the well I think the propped open door was always one of the things that I saw when I went into schools as the one thing that people made a mistake on 
but I didn't even think about the windows being open now because they're trying to get more circulation in in, in uh, these buildings. Uh, what about – I don't think there will be uh, – in fact, one of the concerns we used to always have was the after-school activities. Uh, I guess in one way there's probably going to be fewer after-school activities and fewer visitors coming into the school Um I would think, anyway. Uh, so, is that actually something that's a little bit easier to manage now? Uh, yeah, I, you know, Porzio has been working with with a lot of schools with uh, developing and and reviewing their restart and recovery plans uh, over the past over the past few weeks. Uh, and what we've seen is many schools are limiting uh, limiting visitors uh, to the degree where in, unless it's somebody who ap- absolutely has to uh, enter the building for, for some reason, whether it's for something like an IEP meeting or child study team meeting, um, things like that, that, that would require an in-person presence, um, they're really limiting uh, the, you know, the number of visitors that they're allowing uh, into the school building. I mean, traditionally in schools you'd have uh, you know, visitors during the day with parents dropping, th- dropping things off, um, that the students may have forgotten whether it was a lunch or gym clothes or, or homework. Um, I think I think most schools are going to minimize that to the degree possible uh, and not allow those uh, you know the, those unnecessary uh, visits uh, you know to the, to the school. Certainly, um, we want to we want to minimize the number of, of people from outside um, you know the the school community that have to enter you know that have to enter the building during during the school day for sure. Um. And sometimes they're recommending having classes outside um, for, you know, because we all, uh, uh, the science seems to indicate when you're outside, the transmission uh, of the disease is much less. Uh, Is that a concern from the security perspective, having kids and staff outside? Well, it's it's certainly it's certainly something that needs to be um, logistically vetted out to make sure that the areas that you're um, you're having those those students congregate are, are safe. You know, I mean, you don't want to have students in in areas that have direct access to vehicular traffic or or other you know potential uh, issues outside the school building. But if if you have a safe area. Um, outside the building that has quick access back inside the building if, if there's if there's any kind of safety issue uh, where students would have to be returned to the building um, quickly um, and as long as they're supervised and as long as the staff members that are with them have uh, have communication back into the building and have direct access back into the building um, you know th- those 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 things can be um, outdoor spaces can be can be utilized effectively but again it, it really has to have some some level of of logistical planning uh, to make sure that all those things are are in place, so the safety and security of, of the students that, and the staff members that go outside um, is maintained and is paramount. Most importantly, that they can get back in the building quickly and that they hear announcements that are made from inside the building and have direct communication back inside the building, so they know they know if there's if there's an emergency response that's indicated. Um, we have it all. We have students out, outside all the time for phys ed classes and other. Uh, and other science projects and things like that. So there's no reason why other classes can't utilize that same opportunity. It just needs to be well-planned, and communication is key, communication back to the building uh, and the ability to hear uh, any announcements that are coming from inside the building is important. I would say, uh, listening to you, um, and I know districts are putting a lot of work into how they're going to get the kids into school, how they're going to get them between classes if it's like a high school setting, um, how they're going to get them to eat if they have if they're having a lunch period, uh, and they're spending a lot of time trying to do that with all the social distancing protocols. Uh, the one thing they have to they may not have had on the top of their mind in doing all this though is how do they do their safety drills? How do they 
which are still important, how do they include that in their plans? And that's something that I guess you would recommend that they have to be thinking about too, not just uh, keeping everyone six feet apart and wear a mask. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these you know, there's still there's still compliance for with drill laws required, and and all the safety and security uh, planning measures, and uh, you know the the need to um, update and revise your 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 procedures every every year and make sure things are up to date. Um, those requirements are all still in effect. So. Um, they didn't go away uh, with COVID, and they're not they're not suspended. So we still need to conduct our drills in accordance with drill laws. Uh, we still need to review and revise our safety and security plans um, annually, as we always had. Um, and it's an opportunity again to to take a look at our to take a look at our procedures and make sure the things that we're doing uh, are effective. And and uh, you know whether whether or not we're dealing with uh, a, a pandemic or not, we still have to maintain the integrity of our safety and security. Um, you know, to to maintain a safe environment for our staff and students. And um, and we kind of said this before. And as you're talking, it's trying to find that balance, I guess, um, where you still have your secured uh, drills and your safety and security procedures in place. But now you just, I guess, you have a new framework in which to try to do it uh, with these safety protocols. Uh, and with, you know, as I said before, not every student uh, is in every single day, so you have to make sure that you're touching all your cohorts um, uh, in this. So uh, I guess it's just trying to find that balance and really talking that balance out. Yeah, it is. I mean, communication uh, with stakeholders is 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 another key uh, to success. And I and I think I think the schools in New Jersey, school districts, school leaders in New Jersey have been doing, uh, school boards in New Jersey have been doing a fantastic job communicating with their communities to determine uh, how best to facilitate this reopening. And it's not easy. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, you know, when it comes to transportation or scheduling, uh, staffing. Uh, you know, any, any of these logistical things, you know, take a lot of planning. And, and I think, you know, part of the part of the requirements in the road back, um, you know, document from the Department of Education is, you know, developing these these restart committees uh, and pandemic response committees. And I think schools have done a great job, you know, reaching out to their school community to see how best to facilitate these things. And it's, it's going to take a, a collaboration and a partnership between uh, between schools, between emergency responders, local health officials uh, and parents and students as well to really make uh, the reopening as, as safe as it can be. Um, and you're talking about that communication. I guess it would be still uh, probably maybe even more important uh, to remind the parents that you still, and the student, uh, students uh, obviously, that you still will be doing these drills in some fashion or another. And prob- so it's important that the parents know that this is still going on, that it, it's still the regular procedures are kind of in place. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think it's always beneficial um, to to let parents know, communicate with parents that um, you know what what things you're doing to keep their kids safe. You know, I'm, I'm a parent myself, and I know that I you know that I I really take seriously uh, the the measures that security measures that my you know children's schools uh, implement, and and I I want to know that they're practicing and they're doing their due diligence to to keep my kids safe. And I think I think from a parent's perspective, um, you know, hearing that you're still doing the drills and you're still practicing emergency procedures, I think it. Would be would be welcome news uh, to to any parent of any uh, school age child. And I guess it's the same is true that they should be communicating this with. Uh, well, they always do their plan, but they should be in communication with the law enforcement. 
Yeah, law enforcement partners and, and emergency management partners are, are another another key uh, key collaboration. Um, you know, when when conducting these drills and how to how to facilitate them, and and you know then the, you know law enforcement presence at these drills. Uh, is is important too, and we want our first responders to be able to uh, respond to uh, emergencies effectively. Uh, and the more they know the schools, the more they become familiar with the school facilities and the students and the staff members, um, the better you know the better the response will be for everyone. So uh, we're coming towards the the close of this. Uh, is there any uh, piece of advice that uh, you think you would like to pass on, or something that you say some people don't think about? They should keep in the you know they should think about. I, I just think, just to reiterate, um, that the you know, the threats to school safety that existed uh, pre-COVID-19 are still there, and to some degree may you know may have even been uh, exacerbated by you know by extended lockdowns. You know, if there were students who were considering um, you know vi- you know violence in their schools, um, they may not have gotten you know resolved those issues being being locked down for several months. So. You know, you know, being just being able to communicate threats, being aware that that those threats still exist, and maintaining the integrity of your your safety and security strategies that you had uh, pre-COVID is important. And finding that balance, uh, I can't say enough about finding that balance between the need uh, to you know to prevent the spread of disease while also maintaining the uh, safe and secure environment for your staff and your students. Okay, uh, and I just want. I just want to reiterate the one thing that I, we opened it with, or one of the openings, is uh, all those drill requirements that we've had for for years now are still in effect. That, that they are the one thing that ha- not the one thing. They're one of the things that has not changed. So when we all go back to school, if I'm back in September, let's say hope that happens. Those are still in effect for all school districts in New Jersey. They are they are still in effect. So while you're planning your reopening, you should also be planning on how you're going to facilitate and meet those real requirements uh, for the start of the school year. Okay, uh, that brings us to the end of this podcast. I'd like to find, uh, thank uh, Kevin Craig, who is the Assistant uh, Vice President of Safety, Security, uh, and Investigations with Porzio Compliance Services, which is a subsidiary of Porzio, Bromberg, and Newman uh, Law Firm. Uh, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Ray. Okay, and I hope you all found this informative. Have a good day, and I hope you're also thinking about the security drills when you put your plans together. Thank you, and have a good day.